0: amazing things in life of this church, in the life of many. Even as I look from here, I see so many of you in faces that I know that you have worked hard to serve this church, uh, to serve this city, to make a difference in this world. Uh, Pastor Mark, Pastor Care Buck, one of our elders and I, we are in Florida this week uh, with a series of meetings with our denomination. I'm sure that Pastor Mark was going to share with you some of the things that we struggle together and pray together, there, certainly there are a lot of challenges in our denomination, but I tell you, there are some amazing things going on in the lives of the Presbyterian Churches in, in the U.S. and all over, over the world. I learned a lot of things there. But one of the things that I learned, I learned from my friend who is the president of the Cairo Theological Seminary. And he was telling me this story, that uh, there was a, an American hardcore kind of scientist in a regular guy from, from Egypt. And the American scientist look at him and say, hey, I'm sure I know more than you. And uh, the guy from Egypt said, who are you? Oh, I'm an American scientist. So he said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna bet with you about what we know. So the American scientist said, I'm gonna ask you a question. And if you don't know it, I will give you, uh, you, would give, you would give me $5. And you can't ask me a question. If I don't know you, if I don't know the answer, I will give you a thousand bucks. The guy from Egypt was really red really and said, well, this, is, this sounds a deal, let's do it then. So the American scientist asked first, who is the inventor of uh, electricity? Uh, the guy from Egypt taught and taught and said, oh, I don't know, I don't know. The American scientist told the answer, and then the guy from Egypt just gave them the $5. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and then the American scientist says, I'm sorry you didn't know it, it's Thomas Edson. Is it Thomas Edson, right? Just make sure I know it. So, so then <laughs> there was the Egyptian guy's term, and he said to the American scientist, what is the name of that animal that is green and has two legs when it climbs the mountain, but then it, it has four legs and it's blue when it comes down? And the scientist said, "Oh, oh, I don't know that." So he went to his iPhone and his high iPod, and went to the Google and called his friend, and nobody knew the answer. So he looked at the Egyptian guy. And says, "I'm sorry, I, I, I don't know the answer." So the guy from Egypt said, "What is my thousand bucks?" <laughs> the scientist gave you a thousand dollars, and then the scientist looked at the Egyptian guy and said, what, "What's the answer?" And the guy from Egypt just took five bucks and gave it to him. <laughs> That's, that's bad, no? <laughs> Those Egyptians, they're uh, smart. Uh, in the past two weeks, Pastor Mark has shared with us uh, a series of sermons in, in the book of Amos, a prophet for trouble, troubled times. Pastor Mark help us, has helped to und- us to understand the powerful message of this prophet who lived 2,800 years ago. It somehow... His message is still a living message for us today. In the last two weeks, in the next four weeks, Pastor Mark is going to help us to understand even more how can we apply the concepts of the book of Amos to our lives today as Christians in, in, this, in this world. We have learned that God is the creator of all the earth, and we have learned that we, as people of God, have, we have a higher responsibility to obey him and to serve others in, in the world. Our text for today, I would like for you to open your Bibles, is Amos chapter 5, verse 21 to 24. It's on the page 747 in your pew Bibles. 747. please read with me the words of God? I hate, I despise your festivals. I take no delight in your solemn assemblies. Even though you offer me your burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them. And the offerings of well-being of your fattened animals, I will not look upon. Take away from me the noise of your songs. I will not listen to the melody of your harps. But let justice roll down like waters, and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Would you pray with me? Dear Lord, we thank you for this morning that we gather together to hear your word. Help us to be the people who truly know you, the people who have a, a real relationship with you. Oh Lord, I ask meet us again. As we meditate in your word help us to be transformed from inside out in the likeness of your son jesus christ our savior and our redeemer amen the first time i read the book of amos i was 18 years old i had just started my ministry less than a year before and i was at that time planting a church in the edge of the Amazon rainforest in Brazil, and that place that took me two and a half days on a horseback to get there, was a place that there were non Christians, Christian church there before, no missionary had been there, and I was the first one to go and live among that community, with the hope and excitement of a 18 year old boy to start a ministry and make a difference in the world. After. Many months, a family of five received Christ as their Savior and Lord. I was happy. I was excited to see how they were growing in the gospel and getting to know Christ better and trying to read the Bible even though they could not read very well. Not long after, gold was discovered in that part of Brazil. And people from all the regions and other cities and from far away started coming to that place to exploit it. Some of those were powerful people that started kicking people out of their lands. That area in Brazil was an uh, area populated by former slaves that had run away from farms more than a hundred years before, in the time of slavery, and that was for many of them a safe place, as a land that belonged to the government at that time. For generations, they were living in that place, and now people from the outside start coming and trying to kick them out, and they didn't live. Violence started. Not long after, three of the members of that first family that gave their lives to Christ were assassinated. Others were scared away. I was broken, in despair, and the heart of that 18 years old boy was angry to see injustice happen there among that very isolated and poor people in an afternoon i was visiting the members of uh, other members of our small congregation that we had just started there and i got to the house of this man called pedro as soon as i got there and pedro and i had to ask people to read the bible and try to understand it and as soon as i got there pedro brought me inside the house and this brother enoch read this part of the bible i'm trying to read it And I think that God is, it is saying that God is with us, and he is against our oppressors, those who are killing us because we are not giving away our land. Pedro and I sat together until very late that night, and we read Amos over and over again. The next morning, we call the other members of our small congregations, small congregation, other people from the community, and we invite them to read the Bible with us. And for months, we were reading together and meditating the Word of Amos. Somehow, we discovered that God was with us in the battle against injustice in that community. I personally, I felt that I needed to do something, and I had no idea what it was. Then I started going out and screaming and telling to others out from the outside what was going on in that place. We protested. We went to the media, to the authorities, to other denominations, in the large towns around us, and in the city, in the capital. My life was threatening a number of times. And two or, two, two or three times I, I almost was killed. However, a movement had started. The situation of violence and oppression was made public in the media throughout the nation. Throughout the nation, university, judges, intellectuals, churches from all over the country came to help us and to speak in behalf of the people who were suffering and being oppressed and killed. They work in giving the definitive title of the land to the people who are living there for generations. They start the schools. They put in jail the killers. And those who had to hire them. Today, those folks are still poor, but they have ownership of their land, they have schools, and I just got the news about three months ago, they have a vibrant church among them, who is preaching the good news of the gospel. On February 6th, it's about two weeks from now, I will complete 28 years of ministry. It doesn't look right, because I'm very young. (laughs) Thank you. Friends, I love it. 20 years of ministries, and uh, it has been a great time reading and studying the book of Amos together, like I have to prepare for this time together. In the last two months, I have struggled with this book have read it, and sometimes some of the memories that I had forgotten in my mind for some reason came back to my mind, and I remember it again, the pain, the cries, the tears, the situation of despair that we could do nothing in that situation, visiting that family that the kids and the father were killed, not because they had done something, because somebody from outside came in oppressed, and somehow, in uh, some of the nights, I would wake up late in the night, or two early in the morning, and moving to bed, my wife Laura said, what is going on with you?" And I have been, in these two months, going again to the pilgrimage of the pain, the calling to make a difference in the world. I have done this in a different language, in a different culture than my own, in a different setting. I look at the valley and the mountains, and I'm reading in the pews here in our patio sometimes, the book of Amos, what a different life, what a different context. But yet, the word of God screams powerful to me in our context where we are today. Amos said that he was not a prophet, not even a son of a prophet. He was not a professional clergy. He lived uh, in a. Was born in a, in a small village called Tekoa, which is about nine miles in the south of Jerusalem. But to be a prophet, to go for his ministry, he had to drive to, to drive, to, <laughs> to, <laughs> to, to go north in a camel or something, walking, whatever it is. And he has to cross the border between his country, the Judah, and Israel in the north, and he prophesized there. The North Kingdom of Israel. It was about 30 years before the Assyrians invade Israel and took and, and dominated the land, and Israel as a nation in the, the Northern Kingdom was no more for the, the rest of the history. Did I say that he was from the south and he prophesized in the north? He has to cross for another country. Do you know what? I think Amos spoke Hebrew with accent. <laughs> Maybe you did not understand my accent. I say this again. I think Amos. He spoke Hebrew with accent when he went to be a prophet. God had called him to prophesy against the nations and then against Judah and Israel. After six six oracles, against the nations, around Judah and Israel. And every time that the prophecy would come that God is against this nation of that nation for three or four scenes that God was against them, the people of Israel said, yeah, preach, brother, I like it. Keep telling these people that God is going to punish them. And then God goes to Judah and then Israel. And from the chapter 2 to the end of the book of Amos, most of the prophecies, against the people of God, Israel. Amos is now preaching the word of God to the people of God. The people of God who claimed that they were walking with God, but yet didn't give any evidence evidence that that claim was true. The people of God that had a feeling that everything would be all right, When Amos was preaching, some of them, Amos, don't talk about it. Everything will be all right. The future will be beautiful. Silent the sky. Ask them to shut up. I'm sorry for the theological word. (laughs) Because they would sing the song that everything will be all right. What's the song that we sing together there sometimes? Be happy. Don't worry. Everything will be all right. My my daughter this morning said, Dad, don't try at church. the people of God thought everyone else in the world would be hammered by God's judgment, but not them. As long as they offered their sacrifices, as long as they made their pilgrimage, especially to Gilgal, where the temple was, as long as they go to the temple, pay their offerings, sing songs, pay attention to the rituals, if they did it, everything then will be all right. And then, <laughs> there comes Amos. Preaching the word of God. Amos shows then how much nauseating it was to God. All the offerings, all the songs, all the sacrifices. If the people continue to live a life of sin and brokenness, that's the kicker, my brothers and sisters. The problem were not the sacrifice, the songs, the, and offerings themselves. There was no problem It was God's idea in the first place That come and bring to me the offerings And sacrifice and your tithes The problem was that the people put on a religious show Without being committed to God And God was saying I don't like your religious shows In your fists The people of Israel were concerned about performing a show but you know what? God was concerned about their hearts. They were concerned about performances. God was concerned about obedience. They were concerned about what was his outside to show for others to see. God was looking inside in their hearts. Amos' message is timely today as we live in the 21st century in America and in the world as it was almost 3000 years ago. It's timely for us at Bel Church when we are constantly tempted to surrender our devotion to our higher standards, what does it mean to be a church, to our devotion to organization, strategic thinking, human and financial resources. It's so many times that we think that the power of the mission in the church is because we have the resources and we are in a beautiful place, an influential place in the world. And so many times we change our devotion to Christ for the things that we can offer with our own resources. It's time timely to us today as we so often surrender our faith and the truth of the gospel. To just fit in in the world that we live without being uncomfortable. It's timing to us when we try so many times to put humanity in the center of life and in the center of worship. Isn't it sometimes all about what we can get, what we can get from church? what we can get from others, what we can get, what kind of song we can get if we go there, what kind of message we get when we go there, what kind of expression we get when we fall go there, what kind of hug we get when we go there. And we forget that we are not the center. God is. God is. So many times we think that we are the 5,000 In the multitude sitting there and waiting there, sitting on the floor waiting that somebody would come with some bread and fish to put in our mouth. (laughs) We are not the five thousand. You and I, my brother in Christ. We are the twelve running around and helping our master to feed and to feed and to bless the people. The worship that God cannot stand. This is what Amos is talking about, is the worship of rituals without righteousness. The worship of rituals without righteousness. Amos uses very harsh words in this text. Go back with me to the verse 21 and and 23. The first verb there is, I hate. I I, I hate. (laughs) It's the same word. Use in Amos chapter 5, verse 15, that says, Hate evil and do good. I'm sorry, hate evil and love good. And God uses the same word to say, You should hate evil, to say, I hate your worship. The situation was a little bit bad there, no? The other verb is, I despise, I regard as unworthy your festivals. Then he goes on, I do not delight. The Hebrew word here is aria. That's the word for smell. <laughs> God said, I can't smell your solemns and your activities, your festivals. I can't smell it. it. It stinks to me. They would offer grains, burn offerings, fatten animals, and God will say, no, all of it smells bad to me. They will sing songs and play harps, and God will say, "No, I cannot listen to them." In chapter four, Amos mocks the language of worship. Open there, Amos four four says, "Just the beginning. Come to Bethel and transgress. Come to Gilgal and multiply your transgressions." Remember that Chris said in the beginning of our worship here? Come and worship the Lord. Come and see God's faithfulness. Come and experience the grace of the Lord. Oh, come. I think Amos had gone to the temple the days before when he started going to the, the, the square and preaching about it, that he had seen the liturgy in the sanctuary. And all that language, the liturgical language, come and worship the Lord. And he mocks it. Not himself, but he's speaking the word of God to the people. Come to Gilgal, come to the temple and, and, and sin. Come, come to this religious exp- expression to God and sin. My friends, my brothers, the message of Amos is very simple: rituals, observances, will not fool God. Worship is not about us having our way with God. Worship is not about rights. R-I-T-S, worship, it's about doing the right things before the Lord. It's not about saying and doing some religious movement and raising hands or clapping hands without obedience. It's about doing the right things before God. William Temple, who was archbishop Archbishop of the Church of England, uh, towards the end of the Second World War, has a profound definition of what worship is. Remember, that that time, the Nazi Germany was using, among other things, religion to oppress the people and to commit one of the the most horrendous, terrible atrocities that we have seen in human history. And the temple comes with this definition, Bill Temple, William Temple, comes with this definition of worship that has been with my heart for for quite a while, and let me read this for you. I think it's in the screen as well. It says, worship is the submission of all our nature to God. It is the quickening of conscience by His holiness, the nourishment of mind with His truth, the purifying of imagination, this is beautiful, by His beauty, the opening of of the heart to His love, the surrender of our will To his purpose, the remedy of our self-centeredness. Offering, sacrifice, songs are just part of what worship is. I don't want you to have an uh, impression that I don't like the songs and and the, the instruments and all the things that we have here in Bel Air. I love it. They're beautiful. I enjoy being here. I can sing very well, and I try to sing, and my wife asked me to shut up, even when I'm trying to, I'm trying to sing in the shower, and says, oh, okay, uh, God bless your heart. Uh, pray for me, I'm in trouble. Um, the problem was to do it without obedience. The hypocritical worship had, became, had become a mask to hide the violation of God's covenant. They worshiped God, so they hoped that God will become a kind of accomplice of their brokenness and injustice. I would do it for God, and He would come with me. It doesn't matter what I do in a public place or everywhere. If I obey Him after I leave the sanctuary, if I do it, He would be an accomplice of my brokenness and my injustice. (laughs) They were wrong. Worship with songs and without obedience during the week is not wild enough. I'm going to say this again, worship only with songs without life is not wild enough. It does not change the world. We talk about transforming the city for Christ. If our lives, is, our worship doesn't match our life as we live here to serve others in Christ, it would not change the city, it would not even change this church, it would not change even in your life. A friend of mine from Michigan, uh, Michael Paris wrote a a song that's a rap I can't sing as I told you and this is too fast so I have to listen it about 50 times to get the message but we would like to share this with you in the front of your appeals you have a a card a white card just like this like for you to take it um, and I want to share this with you then I come back for us to um, keep talking about the word of God
1: My heart beats out of beat because it's beating has everything to do with what I've grown accustomed to. The music, the melodies, the choruses, the rhythm, the stained glass windows to match the great entrances. The beautiful feel of the church atmosphere, the nod, the wave, the casual smile, the formal handshake. The one hour on Sunday because Mondays belong to work, school and everything else. And Saturdays are way too close to Sundays as if our worship ran on electricity. Keep it off during the week because your worship bill might just come in too high as if our worship was wholly based on singing songs and raising hands when hands and limbs are the price paid by worshipers in other countries because they refuse to renounce their God our God as if our worship needed the John lead us in a play-by-play, or the Simons to brand us as American idols, or the John Mayers to remind us that the world is waiting, or the Jay-Zs who proclaim that Jesus can't save, or the Larry Kings in the 60 Minutes to inform us of what's happening in our world, when what's going on in our world should be more than just information for our ears, or conversations at lunch breaks, or Facebook statuses and blogging materials, as if our worship needed great big neon signs to attract the masses, or catchy phrases to get our attention as if our worship needed an amazing return on investment to convince us of its worth as if our worship needed stages microphones lights and american idols to make it authentic teach us worship lord teach us worship
0: what is this that makes worship pleasing to god I have struggled with this question myself, and as I told you that these last two months have been hard in my own heart, this word spoke to me before it comes to you. I don't want you to feel guilt, because guilt doesn't change us. When we come and, and somehow a preacher make us feel guilty, it would not change our lives. Because we need another injection of guiltness about a month or two from now. What changes is the word of God. And his grace in our lives that we make us better people. And the people that God call, has called us to be. But he has spoken to my heart first and challenged me. To ask in my own life, what, does it, what is this that makes worship pleasing to God? I want to tell you that is when our worship inside of the sanctuary. leads us to a life that honors God outside of this place. It's when our worship gives us a hunger and thirsty for righteousness with God and with people, in our families, strangers, in places that we feel uncomfortable to be. It's when righteousness with God will make us wild people. <laughs> I like that. That will make us wild people that insist again and again to live lives that expresses His love in the world. It is when we are changed. In our character in our lives become more and more like the life of jesus that we worship listen to the words of micah from god through micah a prophet that lived about the same time that amos what offering he says in chapter 8 uh, 6 verse 6 what offering should i bring when i bound down to worship the lord most high should i try to please him by sacrificing animals a year old would, uh, will thousands of sheep and rivers of olive oil make God satisfied with me? He asks. Should I sacrifice to the Lord my first child as a payment for my terrible sins? And then he concludes in, in verse 8. The Lord God has told us what is right and what de- He demands. And He says, See that justice is done let mercy be your first concern and humbly obey god your god a second problem in our worship the first one is that we mix we we have the expression worship of rituals without righteousness the other worship that god cannot stand is worship that has become events events without the streams of justice before i continue i, I wanted to tell you this Amos was not a Republican, (laughs) thank God. He was not not a Democrat, really, thank God. Nor even independent in American politics. He was a servant of the Most High God. The discussion here is not about politics, it's about theology. It's not about strategy, it's about values. The God of Amos thunders that religious rituals are just graceful if it does not result in compassion for the poor. Let's read again verse 24. But let justice roll down like waters and righteousness like ever-flowing streams. I can't read this text without thinking about Dr. Martin Luther King, right? I'm not gonna preach about him today, maybe next week. The famous line, Let justice roll down like waters, and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream, is not an emotional or moving, sweet calling to believers to do good deeds. It's a roar of outrage from God. Because of the hypocrisy of the community of faith, God's own justice, this is what the text is saying, because of the hypocrisy of the community of faith, God's own justice will roll down like flood waters and God's own righteousness like a stream of water. The point is, because God's people have not shown justice and mercy to the poor, God has no choice but to unleash his own justice and righteousness as a punishment. Pay attention to this. Justice and right treatment to people is the outward demonstration of a relationship with God. It's the public and visible expression of a private life in obedience to God. What is it then in this context that makes our worship pleasing to God? It is when our worship leads us in seeking justice for for the least of this. It's when we stand with those who have no voice, no power, no presence in the world, and has no power to speak for themselves. Worship is pleasing to God when we decide to be to not silence when we see injustice and brokenness happening around us. The people of Israel had failed when they thought that the rituals would replace the practice of justice and righteousness. Pay attention to this. They went to the sanctuary in Gilgal or Bethel, but their lives were not transformed. They run to the temple, but they did not allow streams of justice and righteousness run into their hearts. They were renewed liturgically, but disapproved ethnically. They had charisma, but no character. Character. They said they loved God, but they oppressed their brothers and sisters who were created in the image of God. brothers and sisters the more I serve in ministry the more I see what God is doing in the world through his people the more I'm convinced that obedience to God and service to others is what makes the difference between the church and a bingo club that we have in our neighborhood Or Disneyland, if you will, because it's the happiest place on the planet. That's what will make the difference. Because if there is no obedience in following Christ in our lives, if there is no difference in the way that we live our lives with one another, we are joking, but this is not faith. That will make the difference. The songs and sacrifice without obedience to God and justice in the world it smells like a bathroom in an old gas station somewhere near Varsalia, where I went the other day. <laughs> I hope you're not from there. God can't smell it. He can't stand it. Please take your, um, your notes again and watch this last part of the video from Michael Paris.
1: Open our eyes, God To feel the pain of the black and blue that camouflage the bodies of little boys and girls around this planet who can't fight for themselves but hope for the church to fight for them. Open our eyes, God, to understand the thoughts or expressions on a child's face when they realize that mom or dad has just made an exchange. Their little bodies for change in the form of revenue, their little souls for pleasure in the form of sin we now know is trafficking. Open our eyes, God, to imagine the daily activities of prostitutes and drug addicts that seem too filthy to be part of our story, but the Rahabs and the thief on the cross never filthy enough to have been excluded from his story. Open our eyes, God, to respond to the pain of the unborn child made in your image, the beauty in a mother's womb that screams I exist. When the world concludes it, it's just a blob. They say, feed me. The world says, feed us. It's just a fetus open our eyes God to protect the purity of our youth in a world that proclaims that a virgin has no status how mistaken when the real version of the virgin birth the one who gives them status his breath that awakens their apparatus with the purpose of creating a like version of them with the virgin Open our eyes, God, to breathe in the greatness of you Who makes dead things come alive Live things look fly, fly things fly high into skies Where their cries become laughter Because in our stadiums, the rafters are filled with fatherless sons We call bastards and motherless daughters we call future disasters May we drown in justice, may we be resuscitated with hearts transformed With hearts that mute the music's noise Because they long for a worship that responds to the angelic callings of the orphan and the widow a A worship that isn't irritated by visiting hours at prison doors. A worship whose sense of smell can stomach the stench of urine and unbrushed teeth. Whose sense of sight can bear an urban crown of thorns, lice-filled hair and bloody nails. Whose sense of touch and embrace can loosen the grip of domestic violence. Whose sense of hearing and concern can fill the void shaped by the held back I love you's that turn dreams into nightmares and nightmares into realities. A worship whose purpose is to shine outside the dry walls of the church, where the world waits and a God watches. The question, the challenge, will you worship?
0: Let me try to finish this. After the nine o'clock service today, I hug people, because I like to hug people. (laughs) And there are many of those who came through those doors. I know them. I have seen that they have brought with them when they go home, this fire that we receive in worship. I know them outside. I hear hear people talk about them and, and the difference that they are making in the world, Part of the reason I'm so passionate about it, brothers and sisters, because I know and I see that people among you, even I look at some of you today, you guys are making this world a better place. You are taking with you the fire of worship as we go out of this place. Helping the poor, standing for justice, making difference in the world, doing good business so you could invest more in the light and the work of the kingdom of God. You have loved people, encouraged them, and people in your, some of you in your workplace, that they know that you love Jesus deeply. I believe we can do that. If there is no righteousness and justice in our lives, it's a sign that we are not walking with God, and we need to change. We need Jesus to come and change our lives. Amos challenged us to offer our lives as a radical declaration, both at the altar, the altar in the the sanctuary, in the public square. My brothers and sisters, I dare you, I dare you to take this challenge seriously, seriously. We can come here on Sunday, after Sunday, we sing songs together, we preach, and we listen to great sermons, we talk about God's greatness and love, and we have a great time together, and we go home smiling. That happened to me, Almost every Sunday I go home happy I live in these places here I love the church I love what we are about I love what we sing about I love what we preach about I love what we pray about I love what we gather together about However, if you are not allowing The word of God to transform us In the likeness of Christ Jesus We are not in. we are not living our faith in the world We are living in Emptiness it is shallow Christianity. I tell you, this is not what God wants for us as a church or what God wants for you as a, a child of Christ, child of God. Of course, I like the songs. Of course, I like the music and the beautiful things that we have in this church. And I celebrate it as a gift from God to us. The people who lead us in worship and Dan and TJ and many others that put hours to lead us in worship. I love it. I cannot be against beauty. Not to Jace, my wife. (laughs) We are also known uh, around the world as a a church, Bel Air, as a church of the wealthy and and good-looking people. Wherever I go, they say, oh, you are from the the church of wealth and good-looking. I say, yes. They ask me, what are you doing there? You should keep me for long, I help, to keep you, I help you to keep the balance you know, between the not so good looking pastor and poor me uh, thing. We, we are also known uh, as a church ha- that has an amazing worship experience. Those things are great and I would never speak against it. But look at me, I want to invite you and challenge you to start a revolution in the life of this church. I was just with our partners from Egypt, and boy, those guys know, knows how to do, know how to do a revolution there. You know, I was with the church, and the revolution that started uh, a year ago from this week, that took away oppressive government, and, and they are trying to build democracy on that country. And uh, during this time, the, all the manifestation of the revolution was a block and a half from the church in Tahrir Square. That church has, been soft, has suffered oppression People have been beaten in that church. Some of them have been killed because they their faith in Jesus. But when the evolution broke up, that church became embracing the people that before were oppressing them. The place of worship, the sanctuary, became a hospital. They had 180 members of the church and doctors there. They move away the pills and the classrooms and everywhere in the church. So people that were being hurt... And the Tahrir Square could come and receive medical help. So the place of worship become a place of healing for that community. Pastor Sameh, the senior pastor, told me, "We have never been blessed as we have been in this last year. God is doing amazing things in our midst." I want to challenge you to start a revolution. A revolution that proclaims, proclaims that shallow Christianity is not enough. A revolution not of weapons, but of love and care for those who are in need. A revolution that says that worship without commitment with God is not enough. A revolution that says that self righteousness, religious festivals, and formalism is empty. And worse, is disgusting in the eyes of God. I know. I pray Every day And I come here every day So excited to work in this place I drive even the 405 I'm smiling <laughs> People look at me and say Let's pray for this guy." i smile because I come here every day In hope, my brothers and sisters That one day we will be the most compassionate church The most kind hearted community The most loving, the most obedient The most caring, the most committed to Christ The most real church That we can ever be not for our glory, but for Christ's glory. If we worship on Sundays and we live to God's glory during the week, I guarantee you that our compassion, our kindness, our love, our obedience and care and commitment will today and always be a loud and powerful, ever-flowing streams of God's love to us, to this great nation that we love, and to the world. My brothers and sisters, may the merciful God change us, change our lives, and receive our worship to his glory. Would you pray with me? Almighty Father, we are gathered here today to worship you, our God of compassion, justice, mercy, grace, and most most of our God of love. We thank you that you are with us, and you have created us and, and, and commissioned us and called us. To express the values of of your image in the world. Father, I recognize in my own life, in the life of this community of faith that I serve, that sometimes our thoughts, our words, our decisions and our omissions don't reflect our worship to you. We humbly Lift this sin to you, and we ask for your grace and your forgiveness. And I ask, Lord, that you keep transforming us, keep transforming us, and then into the people that will live the life that you have called us to live. I ask, Lord, as we leave the sanctuary today, that you may befo- you may go before us and prepare the people and the events where we have the opportunity to celebrate your goodness with. It's by your grace and your grace alone that your will may be done. And we thank you that grace is within us through the life, death, and resurrection of your Son, Christ Jesus. Lord, as we come to this place, as we come now with our tithes and offerings, receive this, Lord not for our glory, but for your glory, Lord. Help us to use this wisely so others will truly worship you. We ask these blessings in your care in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.